0: Hi, I'm Chuck Quinley from the Thread Bible Podcast. Last week, we began our journey through Genesis 1 through 12, the foundation text for the whole Bible. If you've struggled to reconcile the Bible with modern science, then today's episode is for you. Stay tuned. Welcome to Thread, God's word tying together all the pieces of our lives through verse-by-verse study of the Bible. In Season 4, we're exploring the bedrock of the entire Bible, Genesis 1-12. through The Thread Bible Podcast is brought to you by MediaLite Asia. You know, there are a lot of us, and we are people of faith, and we love the Lord, and we believe in him, we believe in the the way he describes the world, the way the Bible describes the world. And yet we still have a very sincere struggle in our heart because uh, we've been educated in a world that dismisses God entirely. And on top of that, there are things that our science believes it has discovered, and it believes it is accurate. Although, admittedly, you know, a lot of these things get overturned in, you know, generation to generation. Some new thing uh, will flip over the last thing that they absolutely knew. So we know we have to you know, take some of it with a grain of salt. Uh, and we know that some science is out there just as an explanation so there doesn't have to be a God. And it's not so scientific as it is philosophical. But be that as it may, there are some things that we have discovered, and these are um, proven scientific facts, and they cause a lot of people, and especially younger generation raised in church, um, it causes them to stumble because they struggle to integrate the Bible and their own knowledge of the current state of science, and not just science, you can get into the uh, you know, sociology classes at university and other things, and now, I don't know, it just goes everywhere. It's, it's an assault on God, and we know it is, but at the same time, some of these things really need to be addressed. Well, I, I believe there's some things that could really help you if you're in that position, You know, as people of faith, we don't have to check our brains at the door. God gave us the ability to reason and to look into the nature of things and to experiment and to evolve mentally. So what we need is not another level of denial about proven scientific facts, but a deeper understanding of both science and the Bible, and we'll see that they can both be friends. All truth is God's truth. And science can only study what truly is, as long as it stays out of politics and religion or anti-religion, which is more the case today. But you know that was the historic uh, posture of science uh, before God was pushed out of it, was to understand that God made the world, it's a beautiful world, and that we're here to study and understand how he did what he did. That is, uh, this is all important because of the creation story that is in the first two, three chapters of the Genesis account. Now imagine for a moment that God catches you up in a vision and he says to you, I want to give you a gift, but you have to choose from two options, option one. I will advance all human scientific knowledge by at least 10,000 years. That's your first option, but who knows what this may do to life on earth. Option two, I will give every human a mental framework that will answer the big questions of life. Those questions philosophers have wrestled with from the very beginning, and this mental framework will guide everyone in living day-to-day. So you say, hmm, can you tell me more about the mental framework? And God replies, well, I've wired your mind to process your life, all knowledge, all new insights through the operating system of story. So I'm going to give you a guiding story. And this story will tell you who you really are and what your role is in this world. And this story will guide you all of your life. Which one of those two gifts would you choose? If you say, forget meaning, I'll just take more knowledge, then you're voting for a scientific book of Genesis. And God was well able to train Adam to write and he could have explained to him all about physics and dark matter, waves and particles, micro black holes, and having all this in writing would have exploded our total scientific knowledge because we've been trying to understand these things forever and we still aren't sure. You know, I read recently that researchers just measured an atom with a half-life of 18 sextillion years. That's a trillion times more than science's wildest estimate for the age of the entire universe. So science, as advanced as it is, is still constantly evolving, believing new things, disbelieving the old things. But by giving us a written record with all these questions answered, God could have exploded our scientific capacity by at least 10,000 years. So, I mean, we'd be at least half a machine by now. Google's AI director claims that in three years, within three years, we will be able to network a human brain, a human mind with the web which will make intelligence irrelevant because your processing power will be boosted by the hardware. You will know everything. You can know everything that the Internet knows. So, I mean, we're going already into crazy realms. But if God had given us a book that answered all these scientific questions, we would be so far down the road from today. We'll be right back. scientific knowledge, or story. So here's a real question. Would a 10,000-year leap in science really solve the problems of Earth? Would more knowledge deal with the real problem, the most vexing problem on the entire planet, which is the motivation and actions of human beings? Because let's face it, We humans are the root problem that earth is facing in its struggle for survival. Well, I don't know which one of those two you would choose, but God voted for gift number two, the gift of our origin story. In his excellent book, To Be Told, Dan Allender, who is a counselor, talks about a conversation he had with his mother when he was almost 18 years old. He found an old photograph in a drawer, and he brought it down. It had a man standing beside him when he was a little boy, and he didn't recognize this man. So he asked his mother one day while she was cooking, hey, Mom, who's the man in this picture? And he writes that without looking up, she replied, oh, that's your father. He said, you mean the man upstairs asleep in the bed? No, he's your stepfather. The man in the photograph is your real dad. Needless to say, although nothing had changed in the physical world, in the 60 seconds it took to have this conversation, Dan Allender's entire world was turned upside down. It's a powerful thing for someone to give us the deep gift of the true story of our origins. This is our truth, and it's truth at the very deepest level, and that's what the book of Genesis is. And if you will receive it as God's gift, it will reveal the truth to you about your identity. It will tell you the meaning of your life. It will tell you your purpose on this planet and the purpose of the planet. Genesis will show you what is wrong with the world, and maybe even what is broken with you personally, and what you can do to remedy it. And these are deep things, deep knowledge. You know, Jesus told his disciples, I have much to say to you, but you cannot bear it. So God has much to communicate to all of us, but our understanding is limited to what we already know, and it's filtered by what we already believe and by what we refuse to believe. And on top of that, there's the limitation of language and the multiplication of languages. Some have no grammar. Others have a hundred words just for snow. Think about the challenge of providing us with a written message. If God was going to talk to humans in written form, and that's technology all by itself, to capture words in, in uh, symbol and code. But in order for God to do that, just think about it. He has to do something in a way that it will communicate truth to the humans who lived thousands of years ago. This is before there were candles, that's when we got the scriptures. So he has to communicate with them in their world and with their worldview. And it has to also resonate with modern humans today. And it has to overcome the limitations of human language. How would God do such a thing? Well, it's apparent that he did it in at least three ways. The first one is the entire message was coded in story form, not in science form and that's very important. Our operating system in our mind is story, and so God coded his message in the form of story. Secondly, he makes abundant use of metaphor, poetry, and symbolism to increase the abilities of language to convey meaning. It's kind of like what heat does to a single corn kernel, and pops it, and it becomes popcorn, and now it's, you know, whatever, 20 times bigger than it was before. You know, that's what metaphor and symbolism and poetry can do to language. It's, it's just a word, but if you use it in the right way, if you make it uh, symbolic, then all of a sudden this word gets a whole lot deeper, and it has much more ability to convey meaning. A third thing God does is He accommodates our current faulty understandings, and he starts from there with us. He lowers himself. He lowers his message, and he, as it were, he speaks slowly in ways we can better comprehend. He uses mental constructions that we find acceptable and understandable, even if they're not always accurate. This doctrine is called the doctrine of accommodation. For example, on the second day of creation, and I can't wait to get to this to this topic when we're studying the book itself. On the second day of creation, the writer of Genesis described something called the firmament. Well, everyone in the ancient world believed in a sky dome. I mean, for thousands of years. There were debates in all Middle Eastern cultures, and these were the advanced societies of the world. And they were debating the material from which the sky dome was made. Is it made of metal, some new kind of metal? Could it be clear crystal? Some said it was liquid. They puzzled over how the, you know, think about a world without electricity, how black the night sky is and how clear the stars are. And They, they puzzled over how the stars are held in place. They never move they rotate, you know, the sky rotates around us, but the distance between all the constellations and the stars never changes. But on the other hand, the planets and the comets, they move freely, zipping through the heavens. But actually, it wasn't until Einstein that modern science totally rejected the theory of the ether as a weightless substance that fills space and transmits light energy. So, disbelieving, even for science, completely disbelieving in a firmament is a relatively new thing, a firmament of some form. So when modern rationalist people come to Genesis, the first thing their minds do is to start analyzing the creation account scientifically. And they ask questions like, is this an actual seven days? You know, are you saying that Photons are the building block of all matter? Uh, is this the basis of space and time? How could there be a global flood? And then they apply a scientific approach to this book, even though it's plainly not attempting to answer scientific questions. And because to them this book fails their science test, they disqualify the whole book as untrue and they miss the core message. And that, my friends, is tragic. Because God has so much to say to all of us. If we would just humble ourselves, sit at his feet, and listen. So today, I want to end this episode with the prayer of the child Samuel. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. And in our next episode of Thread, we're going to open to the first page of of the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, and we're going to meet our maker. So click the subscribe button and you'll automatically receive the next episode of Thread. If you'd like more information about Emerge Missions and our initiative at MediaLite Asia, visit MediaLiteAsia.com. Expect God to use you today because you are the light of the world.